Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. Today is Friday, the 9th of September, 2022. And my name is Paul LeFavre. I'm here with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. And uh, on our 40th episode, we're bringing back one of our blacksmith authors, Patrick O'Kelly. How you doing, sir? Doing pretty good. Yeah, we are excited. I'm really excited about uh, this podcast. It's the third in our series of UW and the Carolinas. We're learning a lot about guys that just you know, got around and uh, stomped some British balls into the ground. Uh, we're learning about a guy today that I don't think uh, anybody really knows about. Uh, who are we learning about today, Pat? Uh, the fellow we're talking about today is William Richardson Davy, and he had a major impact on the war, and he actually stopped the British invasion of North Carolina for a few months, all by a little lonesome with 50 guys. Wow. Wow. 50 guys. So, uh, Pat, why haven't I ever heard of this guy? I yeah. mean, I've heard of the Swamp Fox. I've heard of... Sumter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard of all these, these characters. Um, uh, why, why why, don't we know about uh, Mr. Davy here? Public relations. you got to figure Marion and Sumter had an author. The guy's name is Weems. By the way, the guy is notorious. I think I talked about him last time we did a broadcast. Yeah. The guy would write these sensational books that was all bullcrap. And literally, <laughs> most of what we know about Washington, you know, chopping down the cherry tree and stuff like that, that came from Weems. Uh-huh. And uh, and e- even Marion, Swamp Fox, and Sumter, the Gamecock, almost everything you know about by is bullcrap. Mm. <laughs> so Weems would take a scratch the surface on history and then just add a bunch of stuff. So he wrote only about a handful of people. That's why we know about them. Now, you got to mm. realize, though, there was not just dozens. There was hundreds hundreds of these partisans what was back then they called them partisans the, the term guerrilla wasn't in yet but basically they were guerrillas and you had some that had you know just four guys who were buddies and went out and wrecked havoc and you had some that had hundreds uh but there was just these little groups all over the place i mean think think a good good example is ukraine right now look at all the little groups of just independent guys going around messing everything up they're not really part of the army. They're just on their own. They're just doing things because they can. Yeah, and I had uh, something that we, we like to bring up in the series also is uh, this is what's part of what we call irregular warfare, which is defined as a violent struggle among state and non-state actors for legitimacy and influence over the relevant population. And uh, when I, I remember you talking to me about this guy before, uh, William Richardson Davy, and this guy... Uh, was you said he was kind of a uh, what'd you say like more like a, a Delta Force guy? Uh, he, he, he's probably the closest thing I've ever seen to a Delta Force mentality. Yeah, uh, he's probably the scariest guy too, because it was it was said that he killed more British soldiers he, as an officer. He killed more British soldiers than any other officers. But he oh. wasn't this imposing guy. He wasn't this. It, I wouldn't even say he's like a Type A personality. He was just a guy that got stuff done. So if you think about the professionalism of modern-day Delta Trooper, you know, he 
He gets the job done. He goes in. He gets it. If you're going to die, if the orders are you're going to die. He's going to kill you. He's going to get out. And he's not going to make a big, big fanfare about it. He's just mm-hmm. in, out, mission completed. And Davy was like that. Davy was very precise and surgical. And like I said, it was downright scary. The Brits didn't want anything to do with him if he was around. Yeah, this is a guy that's uh, uh, from upcountry, I guess. Uh, would, we, would we say that, upcountry uh, Carolina? Well, well, actually, he was uh, he's from Charlotte. I okay. mean, Charlotte Salisbury. He was a lawyer. So he wow. was a, a city lawyer, even though the Scottfordalites, the city of Charlotte in 1780 was only 50 houses. Wow. So you got to imagine Charlotte is 50 houses, but that was considered huge. Um, you got to figure all the other settlements might have 10 houses. So he's a city lawyer. A lawyer. He, he was born in England. He wasn't even from over here, but his parents came to uh, South Carolina when he was like eight years old. And then he ended up uh, inheriting 150 acres of land, which gave him not just money, but one of the biggest things he inherited, which was a huge plus, was his father had a library, and the library was full of books, mainly law books. So he started teaching himself law. Then he ended up going to Princeton, and he graduated from Princeton about 1776. And you got to realize who was in Princeton in 1776. If I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, Brits. Well, not, no, not the Brits. Though. <laughs> I'm talking about famous Americans. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I'm talking about in the school. John Quincy Adams was there. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, uh, Mason was there. So there's all these guys that he went to school with. They're guys who were you know power hitters later on in in American history. And he's rubbing elbows. But anyway, wow. We come back. He studies law, and so he's in South Carolina. I mean, he's in North Carolina when the British decide to invade the South. And I probably need to set that up because uh, a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people don't know the Revolutionary War. That's true. So basically, what the British did was the British initially it was a local rebellion. So the British mainly fought in Massachusetts. There's a local rebellion in Massachusetts. Well, this local rebellion spread to all 13 colonies. So now the Brits are like, crap, what do we do now? And so they needed to have a base, and they need basically a base would be a a, a, a port. And so you could come in and out and work out from there and take back the country. You know, we do the same thing. Think of, think of us, you know, like in, in a place like Kandahar. You work there and go out and try to take back the country. Well, it, initially, they decided they'll take Charleston because they figured the North was going to be too hard to take. Well, when they tried to take Charleston in 1776, they were stopped at, uh, at Fort Sumter. I mean, that's, geez, I'm messing up my wars here. Fort Moultrie. Holy cow, Sumter. Hey, Fort Sullivan, Fort Moultrie. So they, they were stopped there, so they went and they invaded New York. So they're operating out of New York, operating out of New York. Well, something happened, a series of events happened, where all of a sudden the South was kind of open. And so the British decided, let's try a southern campaign, a second front, and we'll hit them from both sides. We'll hit them from the North and the South. So what they did was they, for a second time, they went after Charleston. But this time they did it right, and they captured Charleston. And when they captured Charleston, they captured the entire Southern Continental Army. It was the largest defeat in American history until World War II when we lost the Philippines. But it was a massive defeat. So now that the Brits are in South Carolina, they start you know, doing things. And that's when Davy comes back up. He starts reacting. And he, he, he basically organizes a conventional militia cavalry unit. And, uh, and, and he, he starts you know, trying to do conventional warfare. And he's pretty good at it. He was in a battle called Stono Ferry. Ends up getting wounded, and so he was out of the war for about another year until he recovered from wounds. Hmm. But that is where 
it's a huge plus because he wasn't captured and he never took parole from the British. So he's a loose cannon now, and he is able to counteract what the British do when they start invading North Carolina in 1780. Hmm. So he's got – you've got this situation in 1780, if I remember, uh, where you have this (laughs) – uh, vacuum, I guess. You've had Charlotte, excuse me, in Charleston, you've had, uh, I think the army of Lincoln was bottled up. And then you've got... Well, that was, basi- yeah. yeah. It fell, yeah. So the whole Patriot, basically the largest Patriot army in the South, I believe, was in Charleston. And it got just, you know, right. you know they were they were toast. All their eggs were oh, in yeah. uh, one basket. And then you had these, uh, these guys like Davy and uh, uh, Marion that just kind yeah, yeah. of... Amy, Marion, Sumter, and they yeah. were all just beginning. All of they this is happening about something. the same time. Yeah, you got to realize what's cool about this is it's amazing how all these little partisans all organized almost at the exact same time. You're looking at the organization of all the guerrilla warfare in the South starts around August of 1780. Yeah. And Mar- Marion is ordered to Georgetown to you know, take that bunch of militia there. You're not good to us anyway, so do something with them. And he ends up becoming, you know, the, the, the gorilla he was. Sumter, same thing. He, he actually took parole and said, I'm not going to fight anymore. And then the Brits did something stupid like burn his house and threaten his wife. So he comes in. All of this happens around August of 1780. Well, Davy, what happens, what, the reason the British start heading into North Carolina is the the British uh, were, were basically had all these outposts all across the border of North Carolina and South Carolina. The British were told, don't go into North Carolina. It was Cornwallis who was ordered, do not go into North Carolina. If you go into North Carolina, you'll spread yourself too thin, and they might be able to get you. Because the British lost an entire army when that happened up in north at Saratoga. Burgoyne overstretched his lines, and he was captured at Saratoga. And they managed to make sure that did not happen again. So the British were told, don't go into North Carolina. But... What the British did do was, you know, a little cross-border raids, mainly getting food and stuff from uh, farms and things like that. And so what happened was, uh, uh, I'm looking at my notes here. All right, there was two forts. One was called Flat Rock, and one was called Hanging Rock. Hmm. And Hanging Rock was the big one, and Flat Rock was the little one. Now, Davy first came to light. Sumter noticed who he was because... He decided to take his guys, his little partisan group, and try to stop these Brits that were crossing the border into North Carolina and stealing food and stuff like that. So what he did was he conducted – he knew where the British were coming because he, he was pretty good at reconnaissance. That's one thing. He's good at intelligence and reconnaissance. So he figured out their pattern. He set up an ambush. But here's the amazing thing. He set up a night ambush. Mm. Now, what's amazing about that is you didn't do night fighting in the age of flintlock muskets. It just didn't happen. And part of the reason was, you got to realize what a flintlock is. When you pull the trigger, there's a big, bright flash of light right in your eyeball. Mm. And so you did not do night fighting. There's a few famous instances where the British did night fighting where all they used was a bayonet. Uh, like uh, one was the massacre at Paoli, where they literally went into Paoli up north, and they hit a continental camp at night, and all they used was a bayonet. Because they knew if you go around shooting muskets, you're going to lose all your night vision. You can't see shit. So Davy, though, did a night ambush. He was able to hit this British convoy. When he did, he was able to take what he wanted, destroy the convoy. Then he took the prisoners, doubled them up on horses, and rode off. Now, 
Next day, there's a British mounted patrol out there that basically is able to ambush Davy, but he's able to flank them and chase him off. But then he realizes he's outnumbered. So what does Davy do? And this, like I said, this is where it's, you know, you don't mess with him. Davy realized all the prisoners that he had on his horse would slow him down. He killed all the prisoners. Mm-hmm. Just killed them. And then he quickly got a guide uh, who was a loyalist to guide him back to his own lines because he lost some of his guides too. Now, that may seem cruel in our terms, but again, think of modern special operations. The, the old dilemma, and every, every time you go through a SF courses, there's this dilemma. Okay, if you're out on a recon point and a site, and all of a sudden somebody comes up and sees you, what do you do? Do you kill them? Do you take them prisoner? Do you, you, you know, do you tie them up, leave them there? What do you do? And so the option of killing them, even though it may sound cruel, it is an option. It has always been an option. I mean, the, the guys who jumped into Normandy, they didn't take prisoners because they could not take any prisoners with them. There are a bunch of paratroopers behind enemy lines. So when Davy killed these guys that were his prisoners, it was because he's behind enemy lines and he had no really option. So in other words, he didn't do it because he was sadistic or cruel, but he did it because that's what you needed to get the job done. So there was no emotion. Just kill him, go. Just- now, because, because of that ambush, and he was so successful at taking down that convoy, Sumter heard about him. And so Sumter came to him and said, hey, I, I, need to, I want to attack the main place at Hanging Rock, the big one. And uh, I want you to do a diversion attack at Flat Rock. Now, Davy did a recon. Flat Rock, there's 500 guys there. Now, Davy's only got like about 60 guys. So how do you take out 500 guys with 60 guys? And they're also in a fort. They're in a defensive position. Well, Davy was like, I'm not going to attack the fort. That's stupid. But in front of the fort, there was a camp with brand-new Loyalist recruits. They had just got issued their uniforms. They just got issued their muskets. They were training them. And so he decides that's what he's going to take out as the diversion. Now, 40 guys, he left some you know, to, to guard back in the rear. So he's 40 guys, they rode right into the Loyalist camp. Didn't attack it. They just rode in like they belonged there. They dressed up like them. And so they're you know, all in civilian clothes because they're brand-new recruits. So they can't tell who's who because it's all civilian clothes. So he rides right in the middle of them. He rides right past the sentries. The sentries didn't challenge him because they just thought they were loyalists. His men calmly got off their horses, took out their muskets, and then fired and just started slaughtering everybody. Now, the loyalists panicked, freaked out, ran to the fort, but the other half of Davy's men were waiting there, and they hit him in an ambush. He just took these guys out. Now, the British were watching them, and they knew they were ready to come out, and Davy, again, once realized, I can't take prisoners. So he didn't take any prisoners. He killed them. But he was able to take 60 horses. He got 100 brand-new muskets that had just been issued, and then he pulled out. Now, Davy's attack on Hanging Rock, was a, I mean, on a Flat Rock, was a diversion. Totally successful. Sumter is, was not successful. He attacked Hanging Rock and ended up losing and suffering massive losses. But Davy was very successful at what he did. Get in, get out, because that's the mission. Hmm. Now, Flat Rock, Flat Rock's in North Carolina? Yeah, both of these are in South Carolina. Cause, uh, so, Davey yeah, because we, yeah. we have a Flat Rock and a Hanging Rock, North Carolina. Oh, I know. Yeah. And, and you got to realize, there's like a deep creek in both states. There's a, it just, people weren't real original when they named stuff. It's like, hey, that's a mountain, that's a Hanging Rock. We'll call it Hanging Rock. So are these, uh, these locations, um, 
are they in proximity to one another? Are they uh, both up, com- uh, up up country or? Look at Hanging Rock as a main base and Flat Rock as like a uh, an outpost from that base. They were probably about, um, I want to say probably twenty miles apart. Oh, not too far then. And no, not too far at all. And but it was a series of these outposts all along the border of North Carolina because you know you're you're basically watching the border because you're trying to make sure nobody comes across. Yep. And uh, and but the main one was Hanging Rock. Now, Hanging Rock, it, it still exists today. You can go there. I went there. I was kind of disappointed because it was a place where teenagers had sex. And so there's a lot of graffiti and <laughs> and bottles and trash and stuff. But it's still there. I mean, it's just never was made into a really cool park, which is pretty bad because I'm about to tell you about one kick-ass battle here in a minute. So, hey, it it, uh, it seems like um... – uh, Dave is almost the antithesis of Marion in a sense that, uh, you know, Marion restrained his guys. Marion wasn't into, uh, at least in my understanding, uh, you know, killing prisoners. But uh, Dave well, was all about it if, he, if it if it need be. Yeah, it, wasn't, right? it wasn't like, rest- yeah, I wouldn't say he restrained his guys. It was just what comes first, the mission or these prisoners' lives. Yeah. And so if the just mission. Extremely yeah, different. They're going to do it. Would you say yeah. extremely different personalities, though? Yeah, but again, I, more, I can't one more reserve, one more um, flamboyant. It, it, what was just—it's very cold and calculating. There was not a lot of emotion. He, yeah. he wasn't like a sadistic guy, because later on he took lots of prisoners. I mean, mm. I mean, he, he treated them rather well. But if the mission and and like the, about the, the best example I can use is think of the the American paratroopers in Normandy. They did not take prisoners because you couldn't. And I know it's against, uh, you know, America's all the, we're, we're the good guys and we don't kill prisoners. Well, yeah, we do. There's a whole history of it, depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, it's some, yeah. here's something else that's interesting. One of the youngest guys riding with Davy is a 13-year-old kid by the name of Andrew Jackson. Wow. So An- Andrew Jackson <laughs> is, is learning how to be, a, he learned how to be a lawyer with Davy, mm. and he learned how to fight with Davy. Ah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I got a, I got a quote here. Here's a quote from Jackson himself. He said, I was never regularly enlisted, being only 14 when the war ended. Whenever I took the field, it was with Colonel Davey, who never put me in the ranks, but used me as a mounted orderly or messenger, for which I was well fitted, being a good rider and knowing all the roads in that region. The only weapon I had was a pistol that Colonel Davey gave me. And so, you know, he, he gives him a lot of credit. Well, wow, and they're both out of the wax haws. Yeah, yeah, so yeah that makes sense. Well, it's so, a, it's a wax, you know you mentioned you mentioned uh, the, the the similarities and and differences between him and uh, Marion, but you know the other thing too is is they, a lot of similarities is the fact that he got injured and had to be uh, you know left the Charleston area to recover from wounds. Yeah, um, I mean, and, he, was, and he ended up going to Charlotte to recover from wounds. Yeah, yeah. In this, which is you know again a, a, you know, away from away from the action really down at Charleston. Yeah, hey, and what was? Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of interesting characters, I guess, come out of this 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 uh, border region, this upcountry region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's again, it's it's your Scotch Irish, and I, I hate, I actually hate using that term Scotch Irish because I'm Irish. Scotch Irish is actually a term that was created in the 19th century, and it was because uh, uh, it was like the old Irish didn't want to be associated with the new Irish, yeah. <laughs> and so they came up with the term Scotch Irish. And, uh, but basically, it was the uh, the Irish and the Scottish settlers 
and all along the Yadkin River Valley and the uh, and the PD region and and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's, it's there's a lot of tough characters from there hey, because so of I, that. I have a question for you, Pat. Um, so uh, Davy goes off. Uh, you know, he fights this battle, uh, Flat Rock. Yeah. Right. And this is before Gates. This is before Camden. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, this is before really a, a, a lot of organization has been underway. So this guy yeah, just kind of takes it under yeah. him, you know, uh, you know, on himself to make this happen. Yeah, That's just no amazing to army. me. Yeah, there's there's no organization, and uh, it's just amazing to me that you had these guys, these patriots in Car- in the Carolinas, uh, that you know just took it upon themselves to do something, and, and uh, yeah. they didn't just go. Well, uh, I guess the cause is lost. And uh, that's what's amazing. You know, this guy has some balls and he's not yeah. uh, not afraid to, you know, go uh, go to head with these guys. So I, I think the modern analogy would be look at Ukraine, the guys that just started fighting yeah. because they could. And, you know, nobody yeah. else is going to do it. So I got to get in there and do it. Now, so Davey did finally get a nickname. It wasn't Davey himself, but his men, because they, because they were literally – Cold, calculating, Delta Force-looking dudes, they became known as the Bloody Corps. Mm. And so they're always called the Bloody Corps. But here's the deal. The description of the Bloody Corps, it says it numbered about 80 men, and they were described as behaved well. Mm. Now think about that. Normally when you think of something like Bloody Corps, you think of a bunch of you know, redneck, crazy guys running around. But no, they were behaved well. Davy, just like Marion, believed in discipline. You will do what I say when I say it and how I say it. And so he had very disciplined guys. And you're going to find out. I'm going to talk about the big battle here in a minute where you're going to see how disciplined these guys are. But uh, let's carry on with it. what happened next. All right. What happened next was uh, uh, basically the, it's the Battle of Hanging Rock because Sumter didn't take Hanging Rock. Now, the Battle of Hanging Rock, in my opinion, is a battle that really ought to get a lot of history, and it never does. Because it is incredibly bloody and brutal. I mean, it was, you got to figure, it was just a massive amount of men were shot and killed in this battle. But hardly anybody even knows about this battle. Now, what happened was Sumter had intelligence that, uh, that the, the Hanging Rock garrison had been weakened. So Sumter asked all the partisans in the region to come to him, and they're going to all attack together. So what you're starting to see here is you're starting to see the first-time organization. And so Sumter's the guy that's organizing all these partisans. Now, he brings them all together, and Sumter decides we're going to attack the, not the fort at Hanging Rock, but there was a series of camps outside because all of a sudden his intelligence at Hanging Rock had been weakened. turned out to be bad intelligence. They had actually been strengthened by 1,500 men. And so those men were outside in, in three camps near the place called Hanging Rock. Now, Sumter only had 600 guys. So 600 guys are going to attack 1,500 men. Now, Davey said we ought, well, how you should do it is slowly get off your horses, slowly creep up to them, and then hit them. But Sumter and all the other guys were like, no, no, we're just going to ride in there and blaze, and that'll get them. That'll have fear. Well, that was a bonehead idea. Sumter made a lot of mistakes. He was kind of successful in the long run, but he made a lot of mistakes. He also tended to lose a lot more than they won. So Davy was not listened to. Now they they're, they're going to attack these three camps. He Sumter breaks his group up into three groups. Each group will attack a camp at the same time. Now Davy's camp was on the right flank. 
to get to this camp, this is wild. They had to fight across a river. They, it says climb a steep cliff. So basically what it tells them is he had to climb up the Hanging Rock, which was a, a big, I'm not going to call it a mountain, but it's a big old hill. And all the time they're under fire, but they're loyalists. But, and they uh, and Pat, they uh, yeah. they're attacking uh, some loyalists and British uh, camps. Is that right? Yeah. Well, actually, okay. it was it was. You, you got to realize this is one of those fights where everybody in the fight is an American. Uh, that a lot of the fights in the South were done by troops known as provincials, and provincials were Americans fighting for the king, but wore a red coat. In other words, they looked like British soldiers. They looked like redcoats, but they were American. So these are all provincials. Uh, there's also Loyalist Militia. The nickname for them were the Tories. Yeah. And Loyalist Militia wore civilian clothes. So you had Loyalist Militia there. You had provincials there. And uh, and you had a really good, one of the better provincial units there, a unit called the Prince of Wales Regiment. They were well-trained, well-armed, and knew what they were doing. Now, David hits the camp on the right. Even though he's under intense fire and he had to climb a mountain and everything, he's able to route that camp to the point that they run. And when they run, he's got them because they mount their horses, chase them down, and they said it was routed with great slaughter. So Davy hits the right camp, and it's successful. Sumter hits the middle camp. Now, here's the deal with Sumter. This is, this is kind of interesting about his men, and it's not, nothing bad against Sumter. It's just the way it was. When Sumter attacked, all his men only had about five rounds each. Sumter told them, you'll get your ammo as you go. So as they attacked and were successful, they would take weapons and they would take ammunition off the bodies of the uh, the loyalists. They also did it something, this is kind of interesting too, that when they charged, they would charge in doing something they called the Indian halloo. And they just made this wild, crazy sound like the Indians made. Mm. Well, years later in another war, this became known as the rebel yell. Mm. So you see the origin of the rebel yell during the Revolutionary War. They just didn't call it a rebel yell. They called it an Indian halloo. Now, uh, here's a, let me read the description of Sumter's men as they're attacking. This is first person. It says, the partisans fired on the enemy as they went, with bullets in their mouths and powder in their pockets. And the load as they run was by no means to take a tree where trees were. So basically, they had gunpowder loose in their pocket, bullets in their mouth. They'd grab a handful of gunpowder, shove it down the barrel, spit the bullet in the barrel, ram it down, and fire. And uh, so they're, they're moving fast. It's a constant moving while this is going on. Now, what they bump into is that really good provincial unit, the Prince of Wales Regiment. And they basically cannot move them. These guys take a stand, and it's, they can keep firing, firing, keep firing until they ran out of ammo. Now, Davy, he's already captured his camp, but they're moving on to Sumter's camp. Davy tells his men, his riflemen, take out the leaders. So basically what Davy does, he deploys snipers. And so as they are fighting the Prince of Wales Regiment, all of a sudden their officers are going down, left, right, left, and they're being hit because of Davy's snipers. Now, pretty soon it said there was no British officer standing, and the Prince of Wales Regiment was virtually destroyed. Mm. Now, here's where you see the, the, the compassion of Davy. Davy wades through the fighting and yells at him, surrender. If you surrender, we will treat you okay. You're not going to be harmed. He's trying to get them surrender. But they refuse. These guys are going to fight to the last man. So they literally fight until there's almost nobody left. So that's a hell of a unit, man. Hmm. Now, what happens next? And this is uh, something in history that a lot of people don't think happened in the Revolutionary War. During the Napoleonic Wars, uh, the British would form a square. And it's kind of famous. The Battle of Waterloo, the squares were famous. 
And it's called a hollow square because inside there's no men. It's all four sides. Well, that actually originated earlier. And during the Battle of Hanging Rock, the British formed a square. So all the survivors that are left after the attack, they form a square and they are cannons on each of the four quarters of the square. Now, from that point, it was kind of a stalemate. They fought for three hours more. But what happened was the, the partisans, the, the Americans, or not all Americans, but Davy and Sumter and those guys, they can't get to the square because of the artillery and the firepower. But the loyalists can't leave because they're surrounded by partisans. Mm. Now, what happened was the, the Sumter's men found the liquor supplies and they began drinking. Because, you know, they're just sniping and they ain't nothing better to do, so they're sitting around there drinking. They got rid of it. These guys hadn't eaten in 12 hours, so all they're doing is drinking uh, probably rum, because that was the main mainstay of most military. So these guys are down in rum on a hot day in July, or in August, and, uh, drink, and, and they haven't eaten. Now, these guys end up getting drunk as a skunk. But Davy ordered his men, no, you do not drink. And his men did not. That goes back to that discipline. His men wouldn't drink. So what happened was when they finally withdrew, Davy's men were the guys who held off the loyalists because all the other guys were drunken bums trying to get, walk down the road in a straight line. So Davy was able to, to hold back the British so that they could – I'm not going to say get away because it was a stalemate. The British had lost so many. You realize in that fight, the, the loyalists lost 200 killed and wounded. 75 were captured. And Sumter and Davy and those guys, they only lost 20 men killed and 40 wounded. So it was really one-sided. But here's the good thing about Hanging Rock. Before Hanging Rock, there was a chance that we were going to lose the war uh, because everything was bad news, bad news here, bad news that. And, and so there was actually negotiations with Britain to end the war where Britain would have parts of the United States. In other words, they would keep uh, New York, and they would keep uh, 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 basically South Carolina. But after Hanging Rock, all of a sudden it boosts the morale, uh, and it's like, oh, this this is awesome, man. We can we can actually, you might win. And so the boost of morale, all of a sudden people aren't talking about uh, having a surrender document with England anymore. See, that's amazing. Um, and and this is the kind of stuff that I wish they would teach in in school because. I think the Revolutionary War, uh, a lot of people think it was just a really quick event, but it dragged on for years and years. And there were definitely a lot of low points. And like you're saying, um, these little victories here, man, just did a lot to uh, encourage the effort to continue on. Yeah. Now, what happened next was, again, one of the worst defeats. Davy wasn't involved. Well, he, he was there at the end. Uh, but we're talking about the Battle of Camden. Uh, Camden had Horatio Gates, and uh, I'm not I'm not going to go through Camden again. Basically, in a nutshell, it was a total defeat on the American side. It was a, it was a, a one-sided victory, and Gates ran from the field. He actually got on a horse and rode away and left his army on the field. And so, the General Horatio Gates was the guy who was the hero of Saratoga. When he comes down south, he gets his ass handed to him, and he has to flee. Well, as he's fleeing, he bumps into Davy, who was riding up with his men to go to the battle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he, he tells Davy, 
that he should he should return to Charlotte because the British dragoons are going to be on him soon. Tarleton's dragoon, and Tarleton was a really famous British dragoon officer. Davy basically told Gates, "Hey, we know Tarleton. We don't fear Tarleton. We beat Tarleton, and so we're just going to stay here." <laughs> and so Gates say, "I say retreat. Let the dead bury the dead." And Davy ignored him, and he decided, you know, he asked another general, you know, so what should I do? I don't have any orders. And the general replied, just as far as you please, for you will never see Gates again. Mm. So Davy could do what the hell he wants because nobody's in charge again. So he returns to Charlotte. Nice. Yeah, and once again, so you had another vacuum where, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think uh, it was a while until you had uh, who was I mean who who replaced uh, Gates I can't remember uh, Green. yeah well, Green yeah well, Gates, so you yeah, had a Green while before him. that happened well Green's much later well, you're, yeah you're you're talking uh, uh, that was in August yeah and so you, until October is when Green showed up so yeah. you had about two months now I'm not gonna say there was a, a Gates is still there even though he ran from the battlefield he's still there. What was left after the battle cabinet, which is actually quite a few men, but they're all in Charlotte, but there's a lot of wounded in Charlotte. And so they're recovering. And, and remember, the British were told, don't go into North Carolina. Well, the guys in charge of, of the British in South Carolina is Cornwallis, General Cornwallis. And, uh, and he decides, you know, I got to. I might want to go into North Carolina, if nothing else, to get that Continental Army. But he, he decides to start let the British raid into North Carolina again. Now, another raid happens where Davy ends up being a guy who comes out on top. This is a plantation, and it's spelled really weird. It's spelled W-A-U-C-H-O-P-E. But how it's pronounced is Wahab. Wahab's plantation, Right. So I don't know how you got Wahab out of Wachapi or whatever, how you spell it, but it's Wahab. Now, Davy realizes there's people coming into North Carolina raiding farms again, so he's going to take care of that. Now, this is near Charlotte, because that's where Davy is working at. He's working out of Charlotte. Now, Wahab's plantation, turns out there's a group of 300 Highlanders from the 71st Highland Regiment. They're there raiding the farms and everything else, and uh, Davy decides, okay, I can take them. Now, Davy has how many? I'm trying to look at how many men. Uh, Davy's got like a uh, hundred guys. He's going to take on three hundred Highlanders. Now, what Davy does, he breaks up into three groups. One group is at the uh, road leading to the plantation. One group is the road coming out of the plantation, and then one group made up of basically his snipers will creep through a cornfield until they get within range and start sniping. Now, when the snipers start sniping. The Highlanders freak out, run one way down the road to escape, and they hit Davies and get ambushed. Run the other way, go down the road, hit Davies and get ambushed. Mm. And then they come on fire from three sides, getting ambushed. Now, the, they, they freak out, run away. They had 20 men killed, 47 wounded. Davy only had one man wounded, and that was by accident. It was friendly fire. Mm. Now, he also gets 96 horses and 120 muskets. But here's why that is important, why this little fight on a plantation is important. Way down in South Carolina, Cornwallis is so ticked off at the fact that he can't go into North Carolina to get the remains of the, the, the army that he beat in Camden. But now you've got Davy you know, messing up his men and slaughtering them. That's it. Cornwallis decides to invade North Carolina. He decides to go to Charlotte. That's right. So this was, uh, and this was actually before uh, Kings Mountain. 
Yeah, this is well. Yeah. Kings Mountain Hamlin's. It's actually Cornwallis. Cornwallis is a really squared away guy. He's a really good officer, a really good uh, strategy. The only reason he lost was because he had so many. He was outnumbered. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's it's like us in Vietnam. We won constantly, but eventually we had to get out of there because we were outnumbered. Well, Cornwallis, when he went into Charlotte, he had his flanks covered, and on one flank, on the the basically, if you're heading toward the the, the east of Charlotte. You had a guy going up there, and he ends up having a fight at a place called Musgrove Mill. The other guy, uh, is, is the other British officer, is Ferguson, and he is told to go out west to make sure those those uh, you know those people back there don't rise up against us. Now Ferguson screws up, and that's a whole other story for a whole other time. We could talk about that, but at, at Kings Mountain, he gets beat, slaughtered, right. and because of that, all of a sudden, Cornwallis's flank is wide open. So he ha- he actually went in there with you know keeping his flanks guarded and his officers on each flank screw up and end up getting beat and so he's kind of stuck on his own in Charlotte. Now let's talk about Charlotte. Charlotte Marathon. Charlotte's all like fifty houses. That's it. Now inside Charlotte is the entire Continental Army, which is uh, it's six companies. That's all that's left after Camden. But those six companies are all that's left after Camden. You got to take care of them. And so they don't want to get captured. So Davy is given the order, slow down the British when they come into Charlotte. Davy has 50 guys, and he's going to slow down the entire British army coming up north. Now, one good thing happened, this is a little bit of providence happened, is the British were stricken with yellow fever. Due to that, some of their top leaders, their top commanders are out of this fight. Like Carlton, he's bedridden. Cornwallis is kind of bedridden. So all these, so basically this fight is made up of like the second string, the B team. Uh, and so they're, 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 they go into uh, Charlotte with a lot of their men sick from yellow fever, but it didn't matter. Davy was still outnumbered, probably, you know, 10 to one. Now, if in the South at that time, the courthouse was not just a place for court. It was where people met, you traded, you had, you know, all sorts of things. Everything was based around the courthouse. Now, because it's so hot, the floor was raised up. And so you know, you could walk around underneath it. A good example, if you've ever been to Fayetteville and you look at the, the, the courthouse in the middle of Fayetteville, it's got a raised up floor where the actual courthouse is like on the second floor. And that's so it's not so hot. There's ventilation and stuff like that. Well, Charlotte was the same way. It had a, a raised up floor, but the, at the bottom, there was a brick wall about chest high. Davy sticks uh, a, hand, a handful of his guys, his riflemen, his best shots at that wall. He tells them, you know, when they come down the road, you start sniping, take out everybody important. Now, when the British come into uh, uh, Charlotte, they start getting shot at by these guys in the, in the courthouse. They get ticked off at that. They try to flank it. But when they flank, Davy also put his men in houses. So now the British have got snipers from the houses, snipers from the doors. It's urban warfare, but with a flintlock musket. And so they try to take the, you know, they try to flank them. They can't. They try to rush them. They can't. They get shot to pieces, man. And so uh, eventually, though, it is the entire, you know, well, not the entire British Army, but a good, healthy chunk of the British Army. And so Davy is outnumbered, and he finally has to pull out of Charlotte. Now, uh, I, I think I said he, he did it with 50 men. I'm looking at my notes here. He actually did it with 150 men. But still, 150 men against a whole army. Now, 
Well, what happened was uh, Davy lost five guys killed in this fight, six wounded. But the British lost over 30, and most of those were the critical officers that they would need later on. Now, Davy blowed the British down so that the Continentals were able to get away to the town of Salisbury. And so he's successful. And he, like I said, he had very few men get killed, but he's able to uh, you know, slow them down, get away. And he did that by looking at the terrain, which was urban warfare. And so again, he's thinking outside the box, and he's using you know uh, mo- almost like modern urban warfare techniques to take down guys on horse and guys on you know with, with flintlocks. Now, Cornwallis is in trouble. Now what? Now remember, I told you about King's Mound. That guy gets captured over Musgrove's Mill. Those guys get you know beat. So Cornwallis is now all by himself in Charlotte. So you only stay there for like two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, there's so many, you know, this constant harassment from Davy and his men. Cornwallis said that being in Charlotte is like living in a hornet's nest. To this day, the symbol of Charlotte is a hornet's nest. And like their basketball team is called the Hornets. And it was all because of the crap that Davy did. All right. <laughs> now, that. That entire, my whole story I talked about Davy there is July to October of 1780. So, uh, let's see, August, September, October. You look at three months. That was three months. That's the entire partisan time of Davy. Because what happens is when General Green takes over the army, he realizes Davy is a smart guy. He makes Davy his quartermaster. Now, you may think that's really stupid, but General Green started as a quartermaster. And he knew that was such an important position because once you can figure out how to defeat the enemy by stopping his supplies, you can win the war. Now, Green wanted Davy to do it. Davy wasn't real thrilled about it, but Green knew that was how you you get your smartest guy to be the quartermaster. He would know how to interdict the lines and how to stop, and he knows what you're looking for. Beans and bullets. Now, yeah. It's always now, beans and bullets. <laughs> yep, definitely. Logistics. Oh, that's the old story that... Uh, uh, amateur study uh, tactics. That's uh, right. Uh, professional study logistics. That's that's absolutely correct. Now, a Davy, like I said, Davy was supposed to kill more of the enemy with his sword than any other officer in American army. Supposed, supposedly, he killed seventy-five guys um, with his sword. <laughs> now, he stayed on with Green. He did all the fight, but he was his quartermaster, so he gets to see the rest of the war. But he, his days of being a partisan. Uh, that was it. After the war, he went back to practicing law. He's one of the guys that he was the framers of the Constitution. But unfortunately, he had to do something at court, so he wasn't there the day they signed. It. Otherwise, he would have been the signer of the Constitution. Wow. Uh, he also he created the very first state university in America. He's the guy that created the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, it, let's see what else. Oh. After the war, he was made a brigadier general, and he was elected governor of North Carolina in 1798. Yep, the 10th governor. Uh, well, what's funny is, is in 1800, we had well, almost like a phony war. They called it the Quasi-War with France. We were fighting France. What we are doing is we were basically fighting Napoleon, and it was kind of messed up. It was not like a declared war. It was just kind of like a half-assed war, but... John Adams, the president, chose Davy to go over there and make the peace with France so we'd stop the fighting. He went over there and negotiated the peace, and it worked. Um, 
but basically he had a pretty stellar career after the war. This is a guy definitely um, every Pinelander ought to know about. Yeah. Whether you're from South Carolina, oh, oh, yeah. whether, whether you're from North Carolina or South Carolina, um, this is this is a a huge figure in our history. Yeah, not not a lot is written about him. I mean, there's only a handful of books. And uh, what is and, the, what you know, would you what would you say, Pat, is uh, the the definitive work on uh, on Davy? I mean, if you had uh, if you had one book to read and you wanted to learn more about. Uh, how about, man, I to, I, how about Pat's book? Uh, how about Pat's book? Well, yeah. I, I will. It might be. It might be Pat's book. I, I will book. say that my my book has you know you know the, uh, almost everything you can read about Davy is in my book. Nothing but blood and slaughter. Yeah, yeah. that's but, uh, probably the book. But there's, but Davy wrote a book, ah. uh, and you can get it online. I mean, hang on. I don't know if we got a second here. I can look it up for you. Uh, this will just take a second. And uh, for our but listeners, got... uh, Pat's book is called Nothing But Blood and Slaughter. I believe you have three volumes to that. Is that correct? Four. Four volumes. Okay. Every, everything that happened in the Carolinas, yeah. Yeah. And hang on. Let me, let me look up. I got my bibliography. These are, yeah, for anybody interested in, in the Revolutionary War in, in the Carolinas, this is the, you know, the, these are the books to read. Yeah. This is the definitive work on, on UW or anything else interesting in the Carolinas. All right, here, here it is. It, it, you can actually find this online. It's not long because Davy, he wasn't a guy that, in other words, he wasn't a guy that wrote about himself in grandiose terms. He, he just wrote about this is what happened. But there's something called the Revolutionary War Sketches of William R. Davy. And uh, like I said, you can find it online, but it's just the Revolutionary War Sketches of William R. Davy. That's where I got most of my information from his quotes. Now his, the, you know, the other information, like, like, for, for example, his first battle. I didn't even talk about his first battle, how he got wounded. That's kind of a ballsy thing because he wasn't even a partisan yet. He just had, he was a major in charge of a dragoon militia, and there's a battle called Stono Ferry in 1779. It's when the British were coming up trying to take Charleston, and uh, uh, during the battle, he got wounded. He knocked off his horse. Now, he. Basically, he's sitting there, knocked off his horse, and the British are charging at him. And he's like, you know, I could run or I could take him on. And he draws his sword. He's sitting there, literally ready to take on an entire British cavalry charge. But what happened was one of his own men saw what was about them, rides out, uh, uh, basically, and, 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 and gives Davy his horse and throws him on it because Davy's wounded. And then Davy's able to get away. Unfortunately, the guy that he saved him was captured, and then later on they were fought together at a place called Ninety Six, and uh, he ended up getting killed in that fight. But uh, but basically, he's he what that tells you something about the guy. He's not going to run away. He's literally about to do a Leroy Jenkins against an entire British cavalry charge with a sword because it's like, well, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out swinging. <laughs> Yeah, definitely a guy yeah. that's worth uh, studying. He's yeah, he's that guy that you know. You talk about this sometimes, Paul. That guy that just enters into battle and considers himself already dead. Yeah, you know, he's just got <laughs> yeah. no, he just got nothing to lose. You know, and if he comes yeah. out alive, it's like wow, okay, you know, that turned yeah. out, that turned out well. Yeah, very. Hey, wasn't married. Yeah, he was, he was a single guy, not married. Uh, like I said, he was described as like one of the the better looking. Men in North and in the colonies. So he had his choice of any woman he wanted to, but he didn't go that way. 
he, he, he was just a very reserved, I'm not going to say mellow, because a guy who kills 75 guys with a sword, I wouldn't say mellow, but yeah. he's just a very reserved guy. That's, That's why I like to compare him to like Delta Force guy, a very reserved, not, you know, blatant in your face, screaming and hollering kind of thing. Is you know? he, in this way, he's also uh, almost like uh, antithetical to, uh, uh, my gosh, my brain's not working here. Something? Uh, uh, no, uh, Marion. Sorry, uh, Marion. It was said that uh, you know his sword barely ever came out of the doggone scabbard. So, oh yeah, yeah. So this guy, uh, he's like, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He's in the front. He's leading the way. Yeah. Now, sit, now it says here he uh, he married a uh, Sarah Jones in 1782. Um, yeah, after the war. Yeah, after the war. Uh, like you were yeah. saying, I mean, he's he's a uh, prominent individual um i don't think you'd had any problem getting the ladies um no no died at age 64 um buried in uh, chester county south carolina or at least died there yeah. i'm not sure if he was buried there but well, there's uh, a he had a plantation and his plantation was called trivoli yeah and it's in lancaster county south carolina so is it uh, i'd have to look on the map where that is well i tell you what, i'm you know i'm hoping places like that are open for uh tourists um, well, there's a good chance you got to realize any plantation from the 18th century may not exist anymore. That's true. Uh, that's true. Either due to Yankees burning it down, or just falling into disrepair. So I don't mm. know if it's still around or not. Just neglect, right? Hey, if you could like sum up this guy's career, like maybe a couple points, something that we could take and extract, and maybe give to uh, uh, the practitioner today. Or, what or, would you? Or, yeah, or you maybe give? even like some of his like most well, prominent leadership characteristics. Yeah. Yeah, his leadership traits, we've got to realize, number one, something about the guy made people want to follow him. Now, I don't know what that is because he didn't write about it. got to realize his, his 80 guys, the Bloody Corps, were dedicated. I mean, they were going to follow him no matter what. The fact that you know his one troop rode out in front of a charge to hand him his horse, mm. that, that, that says something right there. Uh, the other thing is the guy really got it. He used intelligence and reconnaissance. To make sure to, to to assess a situation, good example is the very first Flat Rock fight where he realized he can't attack the fort, but hey, look, there's this thing out there, and I'll just ride in there like I'm one of them. And there's he did all that with assessment. Same thing with Wahab's plantation. He knew the Highlanders and whatever. He cut them off by hit, hitting each end of the, of the main avenue of approach, and then go through the cornfield to smash them. So you're gonna have basically one hammer and two anvils. And so he, he very good at reconnaissance and intelligence. He was a, he was an, then, he was an innovator. Um, you were yeah. talking about the oh, night yeah. ambush. I mean that, yeah, that that's, ambush, a, that's a ballsy uh, move. Urban warfare, mm-hmm. urban yeah. warfare. You know, stuff like that didn't happen in the 18th century. I mean, this guy this guy is very creative. He's he's uh, he's yeah. thinking outside the box here. Well, also using his men to their best advantage because he knew the snipers, the riflemen. Because you had rifles and muskets. Rifles shoot farther. Muskets are, are you know you shoot less. So he, his best shots, you know, he gave them missions like that at the Charlotte Courthouse, where you'll know, hit the officers, or you know, the, the, or even during the Battle of Hanging Rock, where you know, go ahead and take those guys from the Prince of Wales American Regiment, take those guys out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he knew how to use his men to their advantage. Uh, and the other one is, is like I said, it's just discipline. It, it goes back to whatever he did with his men; they would not go against him. So when Sumter's men 
got drunk and stupid at the Battle of Hanging Rock, Davy's men did not. Oh, by the way, after that, Davy also said he didn't want to fight with Sumter anymore, so he passed. Mm. <laughs> nice. He didn't like Sumter. Yeah, definitely a guy that, uh, you know, worth emulating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely a guy worth, uh, worth more study. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm thankful that you brought this guy, uh, you know, out of the history books, and then uh, you were able to outline his, uh, his life and then uh, you know, his tactics he used. That's awesome. Yep. And, uh, you know, for those guys, you might want to, you know, I, I don't think I've read all three or four volumes of your work either, nothing but Blood and Slaughter, but I wouldn't mind hitting that and then, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about him. Yeah, it, it's the, the, when I wrote those books, it was just all these little fights that I never saw in history books. And uh, and you, you, no one ever wrote about them much. Yeah, and that was that so, was kind of your motivation, also. Is uh, yeah, to, you know, yeah. uh, you know, we've never who's ever heard of this guy. I mean, the guy did like uh, I made some big moves. You know, had he not made, you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, if you got, and a, we don't yeah. even know who he was. If you got a PhD in uh, you know North Carolina history or something, I mean, obviously you're going to know this guy. But uh, yeah. the average yeah. the average Tar Heel. Gamecock is is probably not heard of this guy, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, no, listen, there's a, there's a Davy County. <laughs> well, that yeah, is true. That, about um, it, yeah. that is true. There's a lot of counties that you can. I mean, obviously, are named after our heroes and, and uh, uh, significant. Davy County probably don't know what he's what it's for, and, and that's probably yeah. true. But listen, I mean, when you're talking about the Revolutionary War, I mean, how many like how many Davies are out there? How many guys like this that we just haven't heard about? Yeah, quite a few. There's a lot more of these little guys I could talk about later on. <laughs> awesome. And we're definitely going to have to have yeah. a backpack. Uh, uh, this is a big hit. People just love these these episodes. and they love. I mean, there's a lot of history buffs out there. I mean, not just Paul and I, but we just love especially uh, learning about American history and, and some of these really interesting characters that uh, that really made a difference in, uh, in where we're at today. Yeah, thanks for taking us back to the past, uh, Pat. Thanks for uh, bringing us back uh, to the roots of Carolina. Appreciate you, my no friend. No problem. All right. All right. Well, uh, we appreciate you joining us today for another episode of the Pine Lander. Uh, hope you'll uh, check out our sponsors, uh, Blacksmith Publishing. Uh, we have titles uh, written by Warriors for Warriors. Uh, we also have a lot of cool swag in uh, the general store. Uh, you can go to pinelander1776.com to check that out. Uh, and, uh, you know, Blacksmith Publishing is still pursuing our uh, – American Agogi Project, uh, developing uh, our country's next generation of warriors. Uh, it's high time we uh, we start uh, getting warriors again back in this country that can uh, push back against some of this nonsense we're seeing. But anyway, uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, we uh, until next time, keep your head on a swivel, and uh, viva la pine land.